Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Views on View. I am Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio, but the voice for being a mime. But you're stuck with me as your host. Well, sort of. Today, I have one of my special returning guest hosts, Mr. Drew Baker. How are you doing, Drew? Great. Thanks, Steve. All righty. And we are here to talk all things next today with Mr. Daniel Rowe of the Next Organization himself. How are you doing, Daniel? It is a pleasure to be here, uh, Steve. It's, uh, it's lo- lovely to, um, to chat. I'm really hoping to hear some good jokes this, uh, this, on this occasion. I have jokes. I'll Whether or not it, they're good remains I'll to leave it to you as to how to interpret that, that particular. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I'd also like to welcome our studio audience, as always. Now, I, I, what an appreciative crowd, right? Right, Steve? Oh, yeah. They, they haven't booed me yet. So uh, we'll, uh, whether or not they do remains to be seen. We are here to talk next. And what triggered uh, this episode in my invite to Daniel was an announcement that I saw, I believe, that he made on Twitter regarding changes in the next organization. Uh, in particular, Daniel's moving up in the hierarchy there, and that's all I know. So I will let Daniel explain what's going on uh, with all the movement there and what his new role is and, and how things are going to work going forward. Well, um, so it's, uh, I think it, in some ways it's, 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 not, not, um, it's not groundbreaking news. So uh, you probably know Puya Pasa has been leading the uh, Nux framework for some time, particularly during the the development of Nux three, and has done a you know a phenomenal job. Obviously, we um, if you if you're using Nux three or have used it, then you will be grateful to to all that Puya has done. Um, he's going to be taking um, c- continuing to to be developing at NitroPack. Um, he's still on the, the core team of Nux, um, and he's also taking on a new role um, at Nux Labs. Um, and I'm taking on the, the the leadership of the Nuxt open source project. So um, I'm, I'm project lead for Nuxt as well. Um, and and I, I've got to say, you know, that's that's a, it's a real honor. I'm I'm absolutely thrilled. Um, you know, it's also somewhat daunting because we have such great people on the team, people who are you know incredibly talented, um, and, and also people like uh, you know Sebastian, Alex, and Puya who have um, who. Are, who authors of Nuxt and have, have taken us to where we are now. So heading up, heading up that team is, uh, is both a dream and, uh, you know, a bit of a, bit of a challenge as well, but a, a real privilege. I think we're having some hu- trouble sort of with Steve's connection here. So I'm just going to jump right in here, Daniel. Um, I think that I, I like, I mean, incredible. It's an incredible sort of accomplishment for you. Uh, and also you know, like you're, totally reiterate your your points about the the stacked group of people that is on the next team I, I thought it was really interesting hearing from you earlier um about the structure of of Nuxt and like the different uh levels to it all i thought maybe you might want to explain that a little bit because it was really interesting to me so like where does where does where do you fit into there's Nux the company, Nux Labs, and then there's Nux the framework, right? Like, give us a little bit of a background on that structure. It's really interesting. Um, actually, I, I think we're we're um, planning to to put out a, a, like a, 
an article or a, a FAQ on that as well, because I think you're right, it's, it can be a bit confusing. Um, and the point of contact is uh, Sebastian and Alex uh, Chopin, the Nuxt brothers, who founded, who created Nuxt uh, in the first place. We've all seen them at conferences. We've um, you know, heard the vision for Nuxt um, and appreciated their work over the years. They also started a company um, which has been known by a couple of different names over the years, but is is uh, now called Nux Labs. Um, and Nux Labs provides, it, it does a number of things. It provides consultancy, uh, support for people um, working on Nux. It also has a number of, of projects built on top of Nux. Things like uh, Nux Studio. I don't know if you've been following that, but it's, um, it's a completely reimagined CMS um, for uh, projects built with Nux. Um, it's amazing. Check it out, Nux.studio. Um, they've also released uh, projects like Docus, which is open source, and, uh, and, and, and also Volta, which is really built for open source um, maintainers. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's built out of a need. Um, and and that is, that's, that's pretty cool too. Um, again, check it out. Um, and, and more to come. I don't want to, to spoil spoil any any particular announcements but um but nux labs is doing incredible things building on top of nux but it's not the same in any way as nux it's a separate company the nux the framework is um nux the framework is is an open source project it's mit licensed it's uh, it has a separate governance um, which we actually have made public uh, at nux slash governance and so it is that open source side of things that i'm i'm heading up um, I am sponsored by lots of people, but especially by Nux Labs. Um, and uh, they also sponsor a lot of other people in the ecosystem. So other people who are working full-time on open source, like me, um, and, and also lots of people in the Vue ecosystem, um, even if it's not a full-time sponsoring, they are still actively doing their best to give back to the community. So Nux Labs is, is a great thing as far as I'm concerned. Um, and uh, I think it's a virtuous circle. Hopefully, as Nuxt grows, that will help help Nuxt Labs and, and lots of other companies too. And hopefully, um, as Nuxt Labs continues to support Nuxt, the ecosystem will will flourish. I think we. I don't know. If that is, does that answer your question, Drew? No, it, it does, and it's really interesting to me because uh, at my agency, Funkhouse, we actually sponsor Nuxt, mm. and and so I was really curious to find out that, like, I guess technically you don't work for Nuxt you know, like the company, you're on the framework side of it all. Uh, and so it was really interesting to kind of see how like they support you and 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 it just, it's a great way to organize it. I suppose it removes a really interesting, uh, I guess conflict of interest would be a thing where like you're working on what's best for the framework, not necessarily what's best for the, the whatever the company goal might be. Um, with, although those are probably very aligned, I would imagine. but um, yeah, still really interesting. Okay, cool. Well, I guess that's a good stepping stone into the vision of Nux for 2023, which is a really interesting article that you published recently. Uh, I think it might be good to talk a little bit about that and what what you were saying in that, and you know, also just sort of bullet pointing what's going to happen over the next 12 months. Yeah, lots to say and lots of plans, even that um, aren't, aren't in the article. But um, I mean, there there are a couple of things to draw out theme-wise. Um, one of the themes is about unifying Nuxt. And we, you know, we, we started building Nuxt 3, which is a rewrite of Nuxt in a separate repository. 
We have a separate documentation website for Nuts 2 and 3 had two different repositories for the code, which is also therefore double the places people can raise issues and discussions and, and so on. Um, and in a way, it's felt like a maintenance on Nux, a development of Nux 3 has, has um, harmed maintenance of Nux 2, um, which is, you know, understandable. We're a small team and we need to focus on, um, uh, we, need, we need to focus. Um, but <laughs> it's not great for the ecosystem. So we're, we're aiming to unify. So already we, um, in fact, within a couple of days after the announcement, I, you know, I couldn't hold back. We um, unified into one repository. So we now have a Nuxt slash Nuxt repository on GitHub. That's the home for every all Nuxt code. We have a, um, a two directs branch, which continues to get bug fixes. Um, and, and actually, um, I'll be releasing uh, 2.16 um, soon, maybe even before this, this podcast goes out. Ooh, um, I want to talk about but, that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But so we're pulling everything into one repo. We're also going to do the same with the website. Um, the new website at nux.com is, uh, is, you know, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm a bit, um, maybe, uh, imp- uh, maybe a bit partial, but I think it's beautiful. But we really want one place for all Nux content. Ver- so version documentation is important. So you can access both the 2.x and the 3.x documentation there. And we have some other really nice plans as well for making it the home for, um, for more Nux-related content resources that will help people as they're building Nux sites. Now, for example, we've already pulled in the modules documentation. So on that site, you can see all Nux modules um, and actually even browse their readmes. Um, and there's some, some other really interesting things like um, the idea of having documentation for modules uh, sort of integrated in that site and all powered by Nux3's remote sources feature um, uh, for, for content. So we can actually pull uh, markdown documentation from module repositories um, and, and actually keep that updated as module up repositories update their own documentation and have a sort of central place. Um, but again, there's lots of, of great things I think we're planning planning for that. But the, the point is, it's it's um, bringing a bit of unity um, back back to the, the ecosystem. Interesting. Uh, I have so many questions about the way that you're using the, the remote source stuff there. Does that mean that the Nux site is not static site? It's like not, it's, it's, it's got to be like server rendered then, right? Or are you regenerating every time someone updates a readme? Well, so we, we, it's, it's a hybrid site is what it is. So yeah. it, some pages are static. Some pages are stale while we validate. So they, um, they respond statically. They'll, you'll get a, a page from the, the CDN cache um, and in the background it will revalidate. Um, we, we use that for things like our list of sponsors, where we actually want that to be updated in, you know, it's not every time the site is built. We don't want to push, like you could have a webhook to rebuild the site every time a sponsor is added, but it feels like that's too big of a change when you really mm-hmm. only have um, the pages that mention the sponsors that should be revalidated. So um, basically, if you look at the root rules, the site is not open source yet. That's another thing we want to do. Um, and that should be pretty soon as well. Um, but if you look at the list of root rules for the site, we have all kinds of different um, different treatment for different parts of the site, depending mm-hmm. on um, on what function it is um, it has. So, for example, all of the um, some of the, the pages we have a pre-render setting because actually 
it's not going to change the sitemap, for example. We um, we render that statically. Um, we have a you know page where you can sign up for the newsletter. Nothing dynamic about that that static content. But pages like the modules um, pages or um, job listings or, um, uh, or, or or that that they they have a stale while we validate strategy. And it's really a, a test bed for a lot of the Nitro and Nux three things that we've built. Um, it's nice to have some big projects that are that are using that. You know, to the full, um, you know. Think, I think it's it's helping lots lots of projects as we as we test them out. Yeah, I can't wait to see the source of that. That sounds very useful as a place to go to see like best practices for sure. Um, so yeah, so that, so um, the, the the website and the sort of the, the unity to the, the framework is is uh, is is important. Um, we also have um, some other. Other stuff. So um, I, I should mention, um, by the way, that um, one of the themes and like an implication of that that um, change. Um, so by the end of the year, Vue two is going to be deprecated um, by by Vue, um, and and actually that means that one of our focuses is this year is going to be um, well at the same time continuing to release um, bug fixes, um, security uh, improvements. Um, to to Nux two, we also want to help people to migrate to Nux three, and that is one of the, um, the our biggest priorities in terms of uh, in terms of thinking about um, the kind of tooling we build, making sure that there are modules in place so that people migrating their Nux two projects can do that. They have a have a migration pathway. Um, we we don't want to leave people behind. That's that's really important, I think, um, and. Um, and and yet because of the the deadline that that you know Vue two has, which is is reasonable, um, that's going to shape shape how we build and develop. Um, also worth mentioning, we have a new release cycle. So the the aim isn't, I guess, I mean you're from agency land, right? And I think one of the most important things I always felt in terms of uh, agency work or in terms of actually any kind of project work, is you have to have something that you're fundamentally committed to in terms of, um, is it going to be the project scope? Is it going to be a timetable? Um, and, and obviously, that's a bit of a balancing act. But um, I'm sort of pushing us down on the side of being committed to a timetable. So um, I would rather get a release out there um, and defer um, a PR that's not ready to the next release then, then delay the release. Um, and so we have a new aim, which is we'll have a minor release each month um, and a patch release each week, uh, a major release each year. Um, so the aim is that there'll be that rhythm and um, if it and and it's ish. It will be a week, every yeah. week or so, and it'll be every month, maybe give or take a, a little bit, um, but it shouldn't be more than a little bit in terms of give or take. The, so, patch, uh, the patch release rhythm there is huge because that's the one, like in, in my world, that's the one that, that kills you, you know, is being like, oh man, I, I have to wait how long to get this bug fixed that's affecting, you know, 30 clients, you know, or something like that or whatever it might be. Uh, so having a, having that is going to be very exciting. So um, again, we're, we're, um, we're striking out a new territory here. So we want, um, yeah, well, feedback is welcome. But again, that, that seems like a, something we can do. So um, uh, we started it last week with the release of Nux 3.10. Um, 
um, 3.1.0, and immediately followed it the next day with 3.1.1. Uh, it's always, always, always best when you uh, you get get that um, bug fix <laughs> straight away. Uh, but we'll have this week. We'll have 3.1.2, and uh, and also 2.16.0. So hopefully this will this will be the inauguration of, of something something good and something regular. Um, what uh tell me about 2.16 what what what's in that that's exciting it's been a while well that's the thing so 2.16 brings a lot of changes that have been implicitly being have uh, been in use so people have been using nuxt edge which is what we've advised if people have been using nuxt bridge they've also probably been using nuxt edge these changes have been tested for quite some time it's time to release i think we have partly on the team delayed because we've been thinking, oh, 2.16, 2.17, they'll be our final releases. But that is very much not, um, not, that's not going to be our plan. I don't want to, I think it's probably unhelpful for us to have a, a big cliff edge um, on, on our release cycle because it pushes pushes you into thinking, well, we have to get everything in here. Um, 2.16 is going to be just a normal release. Um, it's not going to be the last or the penultimate. It's just going to be a release. And we're going to keep on releasing until we need, as long as we need to release for for next two. Um, so, um, so what's in it? There have been some some um, bug fixes that you'll be be very glad um, uh, to see. So the list of bug fixes is probably about a page and a half long um, on 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 that sort of GitHub um, issue uh, that I've created to track it. It's probably a little bit too long to to mention all of them, uh, but lo- lots of them um, around routing. Um, some stuff around um, sort of more modern JavaScript, so how to handle uh, like module.mjs uh, files in Webpack. There's a long-standing Webpack for bug, which it's not really it's it's not long long-standing. It's been fixed in Webpack five, but um, th- th- there's some things like that that we 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 fix, and I hope people will be glad to see them. Um, there are some some enhancements too. Um, in terms of um, there's there's a, a new default for CoreJS, for example, we're defaulting to version three rather than two, um, and there are a host of dependency upgrades. So you'll be glad to see that if you've been looking at your lock file and wondering when some of these uh, major major dependencies would would update. Um, but again, the aim isn't to get everything into this one release. There are some significant um, PRs that are still outstanding that we'll be getting into the next one. Um, this is we're getting back on track. Exciting, uh, so exciting! That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, well, I mean, it's a good good way to talk about what's some advice. I mean, we were just chatting about this offline earlier, and I think it'd be good to to bring it up here as some advice around uh, people. So people moving from Nux two to Nux three, like what what would be the few things you think someone should focus on doing that. So, I mean, that, that is interesting. So moving from Nuts 2 to Nuts 3, um, I've heard lots of different things from people in terms of what's worked on their projects. And I would say the same is also true in terms of my experience with, with migrating projects. Um, so um, I've, uh, I've had quite positive um, feedback uh, from people simply creating a new project and basically migrating each part of their project across. Um, I think that is probably quite a good good approach right now because a lot of things are you can you can handle so you can sort of migrate all your components 
you can migrate your pages. There's some changes in syntax. There's some changes in, in lifecycle hooks. Um, but thinking about it from scratch rather than taking the entire project and feeling like you have to change everything at once, that works quite well. Um, it you know depends on your project. There might actually not be much you need to change at all. I've had people say that they've migrated in a, a day or a couple of hours. Um, I imagine there'll be sites that will take considerably longer than that. Um, yeah. And a lot of that will be the changes between view two and view three, which and yeah, the that's, changes that's, in Nux mirror that too. Yeah, that that would be what I would think would be the biggest pain pain point. I mean, if I think of our team at Funkhouse that have been very much Nux two, is going from Nux two to Nux three also includes going from view two to view three. Although you can use view two in Nux three, right? Um, no, you you can't. I'm afraid. Um, well, <laughs> the, well, you can use the, uh, the, the op- no, you can use the options API. I guess I, I should say. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Um, you're quite right. Um, you can use the, the options API, and the and, and I mean, you can even use the composition API in View Two now as well. So the the um the chasm isn't quite as big uh, in in terms of View Two to View Three. That's that's right. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, a component that works for you in in view two should also work for you in view three, you know, with a, a computed watch mounted hook and all data. That that's fine. You can just take it across. Um, yeah, might... so I could I could fire up an empty Nux three site and bring over my view components one at a time. Is if I used um, the Nux repo and then added or well, Nux package and then added the the Nux options API package. Is that the right package? Um, it, well, you shouldn't need to add an options API package specifically, but um, there are a couple of, of hooks where you'll need to use to find Nuxt component. So if you're using a special, the, the head um, lifecycle method, for example, or the async data lifecycle method, you can use the define Nuxt component hook to preserve something which is a bit more familiar from Nuxt two days. Um, but I think, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, so I think I, you know, it, re- it depends how big your project is um, and where your logic is located. If your logic is, you know, heavily in your components, um, it might be a great time to to migrate to the composition API and script setup blocks, just because it's it you lose a lot. You your your net line count will be considerably in the negative um, when you migrate. And it, it, it looks a lot simpler and is easier to reason about. I, I just, I'm a, a huge fan of it. But you don't have to. You know, it's not, not a requirement. But it, it, um, it does feel nice when you're, when you're migrating. Yeah, I've just always been a big fan of reducing the learning curve as much as you can on these things. And, you know, the thought of having my whole team go from Nux to to Nux three and Nux view, uh, sorry, Nux three and Nux and view three at the same time. Uh, you know, it's doubling up on the things they're going to, you're going to have to learn. So it'd be nice to, to be able to try both. Maybe the solution is Nux two with the composition API turned on, you know, and get everyone kind of used to view three or something like that. I'm not sure. It's an interesting thing to talk about, but it does sound like the, I mean, what we will definitely do is just start on new projects with Nux three. We won't try and bring over or, there's no reason to port over a Nux2 one. And, and a big reason why I'm not scared to leave the Nux2 sites out there is because you guys are going to be continuing 
to push updates and patch problems and things like that. There's no reason for me to like abandon those projects, which is really good, a good approach. And I'm happy that you, you're doing that. I mean, it's always been a big selling point of view for me. I remember when I started learning Vue, whenever that was a long time ago now, probably. Um, I remember that like React was going through so many different rebuilds and, and Angular was like on a whole complete new version or something. And you basically had to throw out everything you knew and Vue had this big backwards compatibility thing and was all about consistency. And so I'm glad that that's carrying through to the Nuxt world as well. It's, it's awesome. Uh, I, yeah, really appreciate that. That's um, <laughs> nice to hear. It's, um, yeah, nice to hear. So the next, the next thing is, and, and if everyone's picking up, this is me just sort of using my privilege here to, to make sure that Daniel's pushing it in the right direction to help my job. Um, what about community? What about all these important modules that people need and, and me specifically? <laughs> exactly. So um, that, so basically we have one, one of the things we've had over the last couple of years is um, Nux Telemetry, um, which is uh, an a, a attempt by us, you know, to track our, our users. No, I'm not just kidding. Um, it's, it's, it's an anonymous way of, of us knowing what, what modules are used in the ecosystem and what, what versions of Nux people are on, which is really helpful when we make decisions about um, how we maintain and what things we maintain. Uh, it's, it's, uh, so our, con our concern is when we look out and see um, modules being used um, by Nux users, we want to make sure that if they've been on Nux 2, using a module on Nux 2, that when they migrate to Nux 3, either that module works as is, or that there is a, um, a migration path for them. Um, some modules uh, are now built into Nux, for example, so we, you don't need a new module, but users do need to be able to know what to do um, to remove the module and turn on an option or wh whatever it is, that it needs to be straight, straightforward and, and clear. So um, again, that's that's part of the, the migration focus. There, there are a lot of um, it, making sure that there's this continuity between Nux 2 on the module side and Nux, Nux 3. We do have new things going on in the module space as well. So we have plans for, um, and this has actually been going on for some time, uh, thinking and planning about both of these, but um, you should expect to actually see RFCs coming soon uh, for Nux font and Nuxt script. Um, so one of the things that you might notice it, looking across the module ecosystem is that there are a lot of modules that need to interact with scripts, for example, um, or uh, fonts in a web page. Maybe you're using Google fonts or you're using um, some uh, analytics script or um, uh, maybe a capture script or there might be a lot of different things. A, a chat oh, tell me about it. Um, the scripts. And, I mean, Daniel. Just so you know, the, the the one of the hardest things that we have to deal with, just like that, should be easy, is like um, those little ch support chat widgets. Oh my god! Oh, yeah. Like the amount of clients that are like, oh, we want like a real time, you know, chat widget, and those those things are like ancient, most of them, and they're really built with this idea that a page load is going to happen every time the route changes. Anyway. So, so I'm, I'm, yeah, so I'm glad you made well, that stuff easier. But you're, you're absolutely right. And so there are these things that happen across, like in lots and lots of them. So things about lazy loading, maybe even cookie, like some kind of consent. I don't want to load this unless such and such a condition is, is right. 
I also ideally want to load it after the um, the sort of user has been and can now interact with the page. I don't want to be loading every, all these heavy scripts before my um, my my page is considered to load, or I'm killing my my um, my score my page rank scores. Um, maybe you want to sort of have some kind of event system that you still want to pass to the the script, but it's you still want to queue it up while the while the page is loading. There, there are lots and lots of um, of tasks um, that that many of these modules have solved and solved well, but everyone is having to do it for themselves. There's no coordinated central framework, and I think one of the main things, the main jobs of the Nuxt framework, is not to make all the modules but to provide the tools and the APIs for module authors to be able to, um, to, to, to build and create integrations. And that is also, incidentally, um, our plan for Nuxt Auth uh, and Nuxt uh, PWA integration. Um, and, and also, you can see the same kind of thing with something like Nuxt Image, which exposes an API. You can build your own image provider. I mean, of course, you can make a PR and put it in Nuxt Image Core, but you can also do your own. Uh, Nitro also, um, there is not anything that you can't, um, every provider preset we have in Nitro, you could make yourself and publish as your own NPM package. It's, um, we really see that sort of the aim of the core Nuxt um, libraries and utilities is to be built upon. Um, and so that's definitely true with Nuxt fronts and Nuxt scripts. I, I, look would, forward to I would urge you to also think of I mean, it's great the way you're thinking about it, like the, the being the framework to build upon is is great. I would also say one of the things I've appreciated the most about Nuxt and, and Vue to a certain extent is the you have the right amount of opinions on the right way to do things. Like there isn't there isn't <laughs> this there isn't this like re, this React world where it's like you can do whatever you want. You know, we like there's a million ways to do it and freedom is the is the thing that we're selling here. Cool, but it really helps with you and with Nux that there is a, like a path that you're supposed to go down, and if you you can go outside of that and do whatever you want, but it really is easier. And if you go down this kind of like best practices route, so I love that. I love that about Nux two, and and I know that you're doing that for Nux three, but I would still sort of continue that urge you to keep doing that because it's been really helpful, and it just helps with when you're dealing with a team of people because there's. It's sort of an established best practice and it's not like you have to invent everything all the time. So so keep that in mind. But but please fill, fill me in a bit more about what Nux script is because uh, I'm curious, what is it, how is that different than like the, the view meta stuff that you did in, in Nux 2? So exactly. So, I mean, it, it will obviously in, integrate with rendering page, the HTML because we need to be able to render scripts. So an example of... Um, I mean, it, it covers a lot of different use cases. So some of the things that I've been talking about, uh, deferring the load of scripts until later, having different strategies for loading them. So maybe the third-party script isn't in your HTML on initial load. It's loaded later on client-side um, when certain conditions are met, such as when we're now loaded. We have a new Nux composable, incidentally, in uh, Nux 3.1.0 called OnNuxReady, which runs um, if the page is loaded and you've had that that first tick after the, the, the mount and everything's ready, it'll run immediately. So you can always wrap that around something that you have um, that you need to run l when the browser has a moment. And it will 
wrap it in request animation frame and whatever and, and call it for you. Um, you can also do that before the page is ready on hydration. And again, it will defer it to that, that moment. Um, so there are th things like that. There are also the opposite problem where you actually need a script to load as soon as possible. Um, so like Nuxt color mode has um, needs to actually access your local storage to find out in your, in your browser preferences to find out what the color mode is for the page and then modify the HTML. So you actually have the, the dark or light or CPO or whatever class in your HTML. So again, this is a, and it's not the only one that needs to do that. There, there are a lot um, in order to handle uh, differences between the server and the client. Um, I can imagine i18n would want to um, hook into a similar kind of thing. Because again, if you're rendering, uh, or if you have static HTML, you're rendering HTML, but now you're on the client side, you know what the user's preference for their language is. You need to make sure that it still hydrates. So again, you want to sometimes be able to run logic early on outside the view, the, outside the, the Nuxt bundle. Um, and so Nuxt script aims to help with all of that kind of thing. So what scripts do you want to run? When and what strategies do you want to have for running them? Um, and, uh, and, and when, when, when do you want to, to run them? So those kinds of questions. Um, and does that overlap might, with the new head method at all? Or they sound like they probably do a little bit or? Uh, well, it will be an alternative, I think. So in terms mm -hmm. of, if you think, and, and also these things are probably going to be used a little bit more by, um, well, yeah, yes, I think these things will also be there to be used by module authors as well as users. Um, the head head method, of course, you can insert scripts always that way. You can always have a, a script tag um, and you have a script array and you, you put, put your script in, in uh, either, a, you know, with an object with some props for the source, or you can actually inline it with inner HTML. Um, but this will be a different way of, of adding a script to a page, um, which is more semantic, uh, is less about the HTML, because when you insert a, um, a script by a use head, it's just exactly the HTML um, syntax. You're just adding literally a script tag to the page. But um, the but Nuxt script is much more about semantic. So I want this to load at this point. This is the kind of strategy I want. Um, we also have some, had some experiments. We have a Nuxt party town module, for example, which moves scripts into a worker thread rather than on the main thread, which is often a great um, a great strategy if the script origin supports it. So it needs to have um, course headers, for example, if there are some issues there. That's also the kind of thing that Nuxt script will be able to um, allow people to opt into without having to, to configure anything. Fantastic. If anyone out there is listening that builds like embeds and things like that, please stop shipping your embeds with a chunk of HTML and then an inline script tag that is relying on that HTML to be there. It does not work in the modern web frameworks because you can't really embed script tags inside of these things. And so you're hearing all the trouble that that Daniel is going through to try and get scripts working correctly. And then you like Spotify, for example, you're terrible at this. <laughs> uh, so I'm glad there's a lot of effort going into script stuff because it is definitely weirdly. It's one of the things that got harder with the modern frameworks versus like just putting it in a, a WordPress template <laughs> um, from, from 10 years ago. Uh, exciting stuff. But the font thing, 
is huge for my world. And I want you to talk about that because I don't think people are appreciating how, how much of a win that is. So um, some time ago, um, and I should say both of these things, Next Script and Next Font, are, are really, um, we've been working uh, closely with the Google Aurora team who are seeking to bring some best practices from um, page speed um, sort of into framework world. And so they're working with a number of different frameworks, um, including us, uh, and Next.js as well, for example, um, Angular. Uh, and um, and then they have been huge. You know, I would massive shout out um, to the team. They're, 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 um, they've really, really been great. Um, so Next Font, um, some time ago uh, last year, um, one of the team basically drew my attention to an amazing um, uh, method for uh, reducing layout shift when you have web fonts. So, um, and by, this is not the only thing that Nuxt font will do, but, but basically, um, and you, you, you know this, Drew, um, when you load a web font, it's, it's different than the, the, the system font, and that difference means um, the page jumps around. And that's particularly true if you've got you know, a big headline hero with lovely custom, beautifully chosen by the designers, beautiful font, and it is just a totally different size from, you know, whatever the, the, the system font is. Well, I mean, I think it's probably worth a little bit just touching on what these page score metrics, just the top view of it, because I'm not sure if everyone, I mean, a lot of people might not know this. So Google has these page speed indicators and there's a four or five, there's six, six of them generally that matter. Um, and one of them is CLS, or um, cumulative layout shift. And so what they Essentially, think of it like this. As your page loads, what Google is kind of doing, uh, I'm, I'm probably inaccurate because I haven't been talking to the Aurora team like some people, but um, is they basically take screenshots over a few, over like a second and then they see what's moving around as your page loads. And depending on how much things move, you get penalized for this. And the, penal the penalty is lower page speed scores, um, which, you know, some people won't care about that, but in in our world, in the agency world, sometimes that's mandated by the client. Like you're you're expected to deliver a certain speed, and so you either have to like design around it, knowing that like all right, we're going to have to design something that's not going to move around very much, or you've got to do things like this, which is really dial in what's moving around during load. Like is it, is this image fading in, or is something weird happening? But one of the ones that's the hardest to deal with is fonts moving around, because the only real, like, I mean, up until sort of now-ish, the only real way to fully solve that was to either pick a font, like a custom font, because of course your design team wants to use some sexy new font. Pick a custom font that like matched the system font pretty closely, which was like never going to be one-to-one -one, or just use a system font. So like Helvetica or Arial or Times New Roman, or, and even that's getting like slowly changing so it sucked now what what daniel's describing is now explain what this does and how it works because it solves this problem and you basically get like i don't know about 10 free points if you use this on page speed um and and just to underline that you know it's this these things aren't just arbitrary numbers either like the user experience is significantly impacted by these things if you've ever 
And I have often experienced this. You know, the page loads, you see a button, you click the button, and it moves before you get a chance to click it. You know, it's that's a terrible. You, worse, you click a different button. You know, you cl- now click mm-hmm. a link to a different part of the site, and it's too late. And, um, you know, that it's not to mention that just the sort of unpleasantness of the jank or the idea that this site is sort of a bit, bit um, ramshackle. Uh, you know, it it actually it it this is this is a really negative experience as a user if you've got something that is changing. Often the case, you know, with cookie banners or whatever, you load or an ad, like you load the site, and then suddenly something pops up at the top of the page, shifts all the content down by three hundred pixels. Like it's ter- it's terrible. But um, but yes, fonts. Who would have thought that they do it? But um, but yes, when you enable. Um, so what we're able to do is, uh, if we know the font you want to use, um, we can extract uh, font metrics from the actual font file. And we, um, the particular library that, that we built is called Fontaine. Um, and Fontaine uses another library called Capsize. Capsize was originally built um, in order to, uh, to render f- uh, text without the gaps that the arbitrary margin for the top and bottom of the text that the browser rendering engine inserts. So it, it, was, it was originally built so that text could be laid out on the page as the designer wanted it to be. Um, but as part of that mission, they built a package uh, full of font metrics, um, which were taken directly from the font files. And so we were able to, take, to use those metrics to calculate what size um, the font that was going to load was going to be, and ob- and coerce the system font to take the same amount of vertical space, which means that then when you actually have the system font, it still looks like the system font, but it only takes the size that the web font is going to take when it loads, which basically means you don't get that, um, well, there's still a width issue, so you can have a, r- a line wrapping problem, but basically, uh, in a lot of situations, you don't get layout shift. Um, and that means you can go from, uh, yeah, you can go 10 points difference in terms of your page rank for effectively something that is free to do. Um, and we can actually do it. We have a Nux module for it already, which uh, you can build, just install, and it will automatically do it for you, inserting the CSS rules you need, um, examining your, your any font files you use. Uh, and that's, you know, that's great. But um, there are a lot of things around fonts that mean that uh, this included, that mean actually it would be a really good idea for us uh, as Nux to have a, some framework um, um, some framework features and some framework um, hooks that modules and other, others can, can hook into for handling fonts for you. Um, and yes, producing layout shift is a big part of that. But there are other things like if you're using remote fonts, making sure that preloads are there or just downloading them to your project so they can be served statically from the same domain so you don't have the, the network round trip um, issue um, and you know there's no real benefit to having CDNs or third-party sites hosting your your files because there's now no longer any shared cache in browsers um, when when getting files from a, a CDN it's all based on your your origin um, so I think Real, real benefits um, to having a shared way of handling right. fonts. I love that. I love that because I remember when I first started using Nux 2, it, it's like 
And I, and I just imagine like anyone building a website is going to do this. It's like, cool, this looks great. I can build components. Cool. Okay, fonts. And then how do I install fonts? You know, and there's a lot of questions about that. And then the, the other one, which I've 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 mentioned to you before, is like SVGs follow right after that. It's like, all right, fonts working. Cool. Logo on the page. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. So I uh, SVGs are so funny because you know there are so many different ways of handling them, yeah. right? So I mean, you can have sprite maps. Um, I'm a big fan of 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 basically having a, a sort of an SVG and then referencing it with symbols later. Um, I I think that's great. You sort of deduplicate it. You're not cluttering up the DOM. But that's not the only approach. People stick SVGs in view components. There's a whole raft of things along that. Um, there's uh, Iconify and Nuxt Icon, which is a, a module by Sebastian, which, uh, again, uh, effectively, uh, it's, it's, it's really incredible. It actually sort of fetches the, the actual HTML for the font. Um, as it's Statically, that can be put into the payload. And so you, you get the same kind of thing without having to create component instances. Lots of different ways of handling SVGs. It's a, it's, it's a lot of lot of ways to um, to uh, to go around that um, that mountain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not to mention like they can include script tags. They can include inline like CSS, and there's a whole bunch of weird stuff that can just end up in them that gets exported differently. And yeah, um, I am I am on a and we'll, we should put this in the link. Uh, to the episode there is a tremendous uh like flame post issue thread going on on uh, svg optimize uh <laughs> that i i'm not a part of the flaming part of it all but i'm definitely i've got some comments on there just about like what defaults you would have around optimizing svg you know it's quite yeah. contentious uh so anyway yeah there's svgs is, is a big thing but anyway um Exciting stuff with Nuxt uh, font and script. I can't wait to use the font one specifically. It's going to be awesome. And um, great, yeah. I hope you I hope you enjoy it. Well, well, the aim is we'll have RFCs up as well, so you can you can comment through and tell us exactly what <laughs> we ought to be doing. <laughs> oh man, no, yeah, the, just the SVG one would be good. I mean, it's like you said, everyone's got a different way of doing it, uh, but for us, I, what we found worked the best is is essentially to use an SVG loader in Webpack that treats them like view components, um, you know, and then it's pretty easy just to drop them wherever you want. And because again, like spends, I wish that we could use icon sets and font sets and these sorts of things, but my design team is just making custom mm. things all the time. So SVGs, and you know, I would say like for us, it's surprisingly you don't use that many of them. Like in the end we have like 10, 12 different SVGs that we use on the site, you know, it's not as many as as you would kind of think to justify like a whole icon kit or something. Well, that is the that is the th that's that's key though, and that's maybe very specific to your use case because mm -hmm. I have seen I have seen a slow slowdown in comp compilation time by people having an S a massive SVG as a view component that included. I I mean I well I've seen some terrible things I've seen you know pings embedded in svgs you know masquerading yeah. yes it's the vector image you asked for yeah yeah, is it, yeah yeah is it really the vector image i asked for there yeah. looks like some base 64 encoded data there that's pretty yeah. significant yeah. 
but um but no i've i've seen sort of really huge svgs with um you know i've seen like a thousand line svgs that people have made into a view component and the performance hit is unbelievably bad and also i think there's there's maybe an issue with view uh even transform like the time the compiler takes just to transform that um component quite apart from the performance the runtime performance hit like there was a situation where i was debugging a build that just kept on hanging and it it was an svg someone had pasted into a view component so um but i mean you guys would never do that you would never your team would never have some unoptimized massive thing no yeah we we run them all through they all get run part of our build get run through svg optimized for that Mm -hmm. very reason to strip out all the unnecessary stuff but there is some scenarios where we allow SVGs to be uploaded into the CMS by the client. A lot of the times that's like an award that someone won, like a, you know, like a, like, cause we do a lot of stuff for Hollywood clients. So they'll be like, they won a, a Khan award or a Webby or whatever. And they want to upload the little logo of the award. And then like, we see some horrendous things in there too. Yeah. You know? Like all kinds of weird stuff. And because SVGs can, are so flexible they can include like i said like weird script tags or inline stuff or any kinds of weird things so again th- all of this is to prove my point that i wish there was some official best practices on the way to handle svgs <laughs> well well um i think there is there's opportunity opportunity there yeah 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 anyway move, moving on um uh well we've kind of covered i think a lot of the the, the good stuff here um there's been some really interesting side projects that you have been involved in, Daniel, that are like non non Nux related. Uh, specifically, the elk stuff has been. If anyone's not following Daniel on Twitter, it's it's a good it's a worthwhile thing to do. But you've talked about the elk stuff a lot. I think fill in the people listening about like what what is that and and what you've been doing because it's it's really cool. Oh yeah, absolutely. So uh, the I, I mean I, I should say I, I I'm I'm a, I'm on Twitter. And I, I've always I've loved Twitter. So one of the things I, I love about it is is the the conversations that you can have, and and you can also overhear conversations um, from very, you know, interesting and intelligent people, and and also very funny people. Or very anyway, you can overhear and listen and and be part of this big thing. Um, but over the last year, Twitter has has started to, to take a little bit of a um, a turn for the worse. Um, and there were some particular particular decisions, like the um, there were some particular decisions that that were, I think, moved moved a lot of people to look elsewhere and to try and make sure that their entire social network wasn't bound up in one company's hands, um, particularly when that company seemed to be less trustworthy than it had been in the past. Um, and so a lot of people moved to Mastodon, wanted to explore it, um, see what this is. Mastodon is a social network, but it's decentralized. So rather than one um, server that has everything, there's a network of servers, like a network of email servers that exchange data between each other. Um, and you can effectively subscribe to people. Um, and then when the, they post updates, they, their server sends it to you. Um, and, and so there's this whole um, social network that exists. But um, a, a lot of it is it's maybe a little bit um, unfamiliar to people. Um, even the idea of having to create an account at one of lots of servers is quite off-putting to people, um, particularly if they don't know that it, it doesn't really matter. It's like, like email, it, you, you can communicate with everybody and, and listen to everybody, no matter what server you pick. 
but I can still feel a bit worrying. Um, and um, what, one, you know, of the most talented uh, devs I know, uh, Anthony Fu, um, who's, who's also on the next team, you know, feeding into all those the, the sort of the daunting incredible, nature of the incredible, incredible pace development. Oh. Yeah, and uh, I mean, oh. yeah, does some. Uh, the, I've said this before on this podcast, I think, but the work he's done with um, teleport. I mean, he's got a different name, Starport or something. I think he's got a different name for it, but that is like incredible uh, what that can do. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you could pick almost any one of his projects because he doesn't seem to be able to work on a project that isn't that is not actually transformative. Like his projects are, yeah. you know, a lot of us put libraries out there that you know serve one small use case, or you know, it was interesting to me as the author to create. But Anthony really is able to um, come up with things that are uh, that cap- capture you. So he does a lot of. Yeah, it's incredible. Thing. It's incredible his <laughs> his ability to yeah, like pick a project like. Hey, uh, this thing could be interesting, and just like it's, it's like groundbreaking, and every one of them, it's really, it's really a weird skill to be able to pick them. Yeah, yeah, he's he's anyway. got it, and also I think one of the the great um, great talents he has also is building teams, because um, very quickly, like things like uh, Vtest or um, uh, or things like uh, View Use, you know, Anthony will will, will build. Yeah. But he doesn't have the idea that it's all about him. That you know, he's got actually he he attracts people who have great talent and who are who join in and capture the vision. And he's not afraid of giving them uh, responsibility and ownership in what he builds. And just massive props to him. Um, I, I think I view think use so, big prop big props to view use that that's yep. some slick. There's some great stuff in there. And and of course, a lot of it also is not from. Anthony didn't build it because that's yeah, yeah. The, the joy of having an ecosystem and having contributors you respect and c- care for because actually they they um uh they, they come and they make their own things and you know anyway I I love it I, it's absolutely philosophically where I'm at um so I, I I but anyway Anthony built this client for um for Mastodon um uh, just uh, I think. He sent a message to the the next team. He said, "Hey, I, I was just thinking, you know, what what if we built a, uh, a client for Mastodon in Nux?" Um, and a couple of days later, there there it was. There was a client for Mastodon yeah. in Nux, and um, a f- few of us uh, started helping out and uh, building. I was really um, honored. Anthony invited me uh, to be part of that, so that was was fantastic. And now Elk has over 120 contributors, um, still in alpha. Um, but it's uh, it's hopefully a much more friendly, accessible um, interface to Mastodon. Uh, so uh, check it check it out. It's under development. You can you can make make changes. You can put pull requests in. You can fix issues or report them. Um, and that's and it, built that's built on like a stock version of Nux. Like it's not a, a, a highly modified because you guys are all working on it version of Nux. Well, it's it's been a great um, way of dogfooding Nuxt and a lot of other libraries. So you'll be able to see I eighteen like internationalization at work, um, lots of you use libraries. Um, a new Nuxt PWA module was built on the project. Um, so Vite plugin PWA built a module for Nuxt, um, and and that's actually just only been released. But it was again dogfooded through through Elk. Um, lots of things uh, you can see um, unstorage at use. Uh, in, in use, we even built a custom driver for Towery 
um, Tauri is um, what we're using for native application support for for um, for Elk. It's built in Rust and is an alternative to to Chromium. Um, you know, the, uh, not Chromium, Electron. Um, but you know, you can see uh, a lot of things that work. So it's definitely great if you want to take a look, um, sort of how a real world application um, is built by a lot of I, people who are, you know, really good at what they do. Yeah, I, I would love to see. <laughs> no, no, I would love to see the source code for that. If, if you're ever gonna, is it gonna open source the it eventually? It, it is open source. In fact, um, if, it, we, oh. when we started, it was um, we had a private repo just so we could coordinate and and, and iterate faster. But we open open sourced it, so we're in open alpha now. Um, website is uh, yeah, Elk Zone slash elk and you can go to, go to the um the try elk out at elk.zone uh, is the uh is the domain Amazing. Um, you don't even need a mastodon account yeah. yeah i'd love to see i mean i built a it's something that i you know what it's something that i don't think nux gets enough attention for which is like web apps you know like i think a lot of people think of it as a website building framework but i mean it's fantastic for web apps too I, i've used it to build a really big web app for a big like task management app for the construction industry super complicated stuff and it works great for it um mm. so yeah it's exciting to see this and if anyone's looking to build a web app they should start by looking at this source code i'm sure this is the best like starting tutorial you could ever get so well cool. and then yeah uh, i didn't want to cut you off there daniel but i no, did no, want no. to talk because we're, we're running out of time so i did i did want to talk about um the your magic regex thing which is just a cool thing that you've done so fill us in oh um, <laughs> thanks so um the so regex yeah magic regex basically it, it all came about when i had when i got covid and um was basically sitting around with nothing nothing to do feeling a bit sorry for myself um and what is it it's a different way of writing regular expressions so it uses um sort of more natural language syntax uh, to to talk about the kinds of things that regular expressions do, um, and it it has some design decisions that basically aim to remove the a uh, lot of errors you can make uh, mistakes you might make unintentionally when working with regular expressions. So everything is escaped by default. For example, um, you not accidentally going to write a regular expression to match dot com and end up matching any character followed by com. Um, and uh, and the whole thing is uh, other things. For example, if you have a, like a group in regular expressions, but you you're only doing that in order to say choose between a couple of options, um, we actually use a more performant non-matching syntax for that group, um, which again you might not normally think about using, but is actually more performant and no reason not to use it. So there's there's some good things there. We also prevent. I'm imagining you most people are like are like me in that they're thinking, I don't know what any of that means. And uh, regex scares the hell out of me. So I'd rather just uh, use you to do it for me. So this is awesome. And I think this is a great tool. I, I use it for sure. And I think everyone will benefit from it. It's, it's also, um, th there are some, some, uh, some other foot guns. Like um, if you have a global versus non-global regular expression and you hit it with match dot match, like a string dot match in the regular expression, it will return you different things, um, either you know an object or an array, based on whether it has a global flag or not. 
if you hit match all and it's not a global expression, it will throw an error. You know, there, there are a lot of things that, and it's, this is not typed at all. So if you're using regular expressions, you have no way to know that it's not going to work until runtime. Um, and it, it might be an edge case and you never hit it until production. Whereas Mag Magic Regex actually will throw those errors for you type-wise in development. So if you add that global flag or not, it will change the return type of the object. It's also fully typed in terms of, so for example, if you have a named group, it will type the return of the dot groups property. Uh, it even is fully typed with regard to anonymous groups. So if you normally put a, some brackets or parentheses around a bit of the word, it will not only um, not allow you to access the index of a group that doesn't exist, but when you do access the index of a group that does exist, it will actually give you a hint and show you the bit of the regular expression that it matches, which yes, is right. really, really good. Yes, and that was written by David Tide, by the way. A collaborator has been working with that project, uh, with me on that project. And, sorry if I'm going on, the whole thing no. compiles, it compiles to a normal regular expression. So um, in your built library, there is, should be no trace, like your app, there should be no trace of magic red text because I have a transform which basically takes your regular expression, and as long as there's no dynamic bit of it, it will compile it to a normal regular expression. That's, that's and the thing, like, the thing I like about it the most is that it allows, there's nothing more confusing than coming into someone else's component or a project or whatever, and seeing just this big chunk of regex and no explanation about it. You know, it's just this big assumption that like, ah, oh, whatever this complicated piece of regex that you've generally found on Stack Overflow, whatever that is, you're, the person reading it you're expecting is that knowledgeable to be able to understand what was happening here, you know, or to tweak it in some way. Like you'll see some big chunk of regex and they'll be like, uh, manipulating the title to remove, you know, unwanted character. And you're like, okay, <laughs> what unwanted character? What title? You know, what went wrong here? Yours, it's written like regular language. It's, it, I mean, it's a podcast so people can't see it, but it, if you've ever used like an ORM tool or like a really easy uh, like way to kind of search for something, it's kind of like that. Um, so there's a lot of like dot and this thing or this thing, you know, it's not a whole bunch of weird symbols. So it, it's really easy to read after like what someone else wrote. So in a team environment, it's, it's incredible. Like even if, I would say, even if you're a team and, you feel like, oh, we, you have someone on your team who knows regex, like, or is very comfortable with it. Generally, that person ends up writing all the regex for everyone else. You should still probably just not do that anymore. I think you'd still be better benefit from using magic regex because it just brings it down to everyone's level. Again, it's like reducing the learning curve is huge, I think. Uh, and you get a huge benefit across the team from doing things like that. So I think Magic Regex has been is like really exciting. Anyway, the domain name is um, regxp.dev. We'll put it in the link, but it's it's really worth checking out. Uh, I'm I'm taking notes. This is all great. It's going to go in the testimonials. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Fair enough. Uh, you should. Uh, well, Daniel, I, th I think that's enough time for you uh, that we've taken up and it's late at night uh, for you. What is there anything else that you want to touch on for, for the NUC stuff that we missed maybe? Um, there is so much to say, um, but definitely, definitely keep your eye on the announcements that are going to be coming out from Nuxt, particularly next week. So next week, Q3 
keep your eye out because we're going to have a really exciting announcement. Um, and I think it's going to really, it's going to transform how people, how people um, build, um, how people, uh, it's going to transform people's development experience with Next. So I'm not going to, mm. I'm not going to say too much more, but you might be able to guess. Exciting stuff. All right. Is that going to, because ViewConf is next week and, and I know that you guys are all going there. Is that going to come out as part of that? It might. It might well. Okay. There might well be an announcement at QJS Amsterdam. Yep. Nice. Exciting stuff. All right, cool. Well, normally this is where Steve would kind of wrap it all up for us, but he has disappeared for some reason. Uh, technical problems. So we'll just do it ourselves. We normally we finish up with some picks. So these are just things that we found interesting on the internet um, over the last couple of weeks or whatever it is and things that have piqued our interest. Uh, so Daniel, do you have any picks that you want to drop in there? I think I would have I would have thrown people um, towards uh, towards trying out Mastodon, uh, trying out Elk. Um, that would absolutely be something I would I would recommend. Um, I've also, if you're um, in a, a leadership role, um, at uh, in your your job, I highly recommend Sarah Drasner's book, um, which I have. I have it's actually in my my bag, um, so I, I can't pull it out right now. But totally check out her engineering management um, book. At least recently, it is, it is fantastic, and it is also it's got a beautiful cover as well, which um, reminiscent of 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 uh, books of the past. So awesome! Yeah, I want to check that out. Uh, on that note, there, this just reminded me of an amazing book that we read that we had everyone at Funkhouse read uh, that changed the game for us. It's called Run Studio Run. If anyone is like running a creative agency, you should read read that book. Uh, it's incredible. Um, called Run Studio Run. Cool. Well, uh, my pick picks are uh, a sort of obscure CSS one, which I love to talk about. Um, it's called. It's a new CSS. Um, function called where so it's yeah. where it's a where function which is weird to think about that in css if you haven't used these before but essentially it does whole it's hard to explain but the big thing that it does is it reduces the specificity of your selector to zero so this is something that you might not be familiar with in css but generally the more specific your selector the higher the like essentially priority that that's that rule will have so you've noticed like if you use like an ID to select something that that will override the same thing if you use the class to select it. And, you know, it goes, there's a whole lot of rules that get used there. Like if you use just an element selection or, you know, two classes in a row and there's, there's a whole bunch of rules that go into that. But if you're developing a, a component that you're going to share to other people, um, like for us, we have we built these video player components. So it's a custom video player. And we use it on a lot of different websites. But essentially, whenever we drop that onto some one of the websites we built, we, we kind of want to override a whole lot of the styles that are in that um, component on, on like the color of the play icon might be different on every website, right? And so a where clause or where function is really good for that because you can say, hey, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of styles, but I want them to be very easy to override. And that's what the, the where function does. So we'll, we'll include a link that kind of explains what that is. And there's another one that goes with that called an is clause that is like the game changer too. Um, 
so take a take a read of that. Some interesting CSS stuff. And then on on that note, I came across this incredible um, uh, CSS guru named uh, Brad Woods, and I'm going to give you a link to his website. And he's got a whole like kind of like uh, I don't know what you would call them, but they're not really tutorials. They're more like showcases of like incredible stuff you can do in CSS. And he's one on like 3D in CSS, not 3D like don't think of like building like a game or something like that. More like there's a whole lot of CSS properties that re, re, that um, describe 3D effects. So like perspective is one of them. Uh, and we've built some really complicated websites that include weird 3D perspective animations and stuff using some of these functions. And it's really worth looking at and getting a crazy world of CSS is just getting more and more um, crazy. So, so those that would be my pick. Uh, and I'll be in the show notes. So this brings us to the the highlight of the show for a lot of people, uh, which is these these dad jokes that Steve would tell, and he's not here to tell them. So he he chatted them to me and Daniel. I feel like in the in the uh, you know uh, spirit of fairness, we should probably read one each, Daniel, because I'm not sure if I've got two in me. Uh, so. I've got one of my I'll, own. I've got one of my got, own. I, I, oh, okay. Oh, so we have three. All right. Well, I'll read two of them and then you can read your own one. Uh, so, all right. So uh, I, I can't do Steve's accent, but if I could, I, I would do it here. So uh, the nurse, a nurse says to, uh, to a, a man, uh, we need to get a, a stool sample and a urine sample. And then the man turns to his wife and said, what, what did she say? And the wife says, they want your underwear. And this would be where we would have uh, some drum snares and stuff from Steve, but we've also lost our, our sound effect guy. So that was I, one. I'm I'm not I'm not reacting to that. That is no, that, that was painful. Go, we're passing that over that one. That's painful. Uh, next one, uh, teacher. So Daniel, if you had five dollars in in one pocket and twenty dollars in the other, what would you have? My answer: somebody else's trousers <laughs> that's yeah that yeah that's that's rough too um uh, <laughs> well daniel you you have to follow up with your uh with your one now uh so how did how did pirates uh communicate communicate before computers i don't know i guess a mes- message in a bottle it was uh peer-to-peer networking <laughs> That's that's good. I actually like that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not 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 substituting for for Steve any anytime soon. He is he is the master. <laughs> oh well, well that's that brings it to a conclusion here. Um, Daniel, thanks so much for your time, man, and also thanks so much for all the effort and all of the, what you're doing for the open source community. It's been um, incredible. It's such a privilege. Um, thank you, thank you for having me on. Yeah, thanks for your time. All right, talk to you later, mate. (laughs) Talk to you later.